Hi, everyone. This is Trust in the Process with Travis Fritz. Uh, today, I have Aaron Resnick, uh, who will be talking about his brewery in Wixom, Michigan, drafting table, um, and a lot about his uh, sort of entry into brewing and the changes that he's experienced in his own brewing career and uh, some of the changes we've all experienced um, over the last couple of years. Um, this podcast is uh, brewers talking to brewers about brewing generally and other topics that I find appealing. Um, we're not necessarily a marketing uh, podcast. We are really just trying to dig into the thought process uh, that, 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 that goes into brewing um, and the process of work uh, generally that uh, brewers experience and some of the difficulties and, and ways that they've um, sort of met those difficulties along the way. Uh, so Aaron, Drafting Table is in Wixom, Michigan. Will you describe to folks who are not from Southeast Michigan where Wixom is and where you are in Wixom, how they can find you? Sure, yeah, generally I tell people uh, Metro Detroit, um, give them a broad sense of where we're at. Um, but yeah, more specifically um, by Novi, which is a, a larger city around us. Um, if you're taking 96 towards Detroit, we're uh, two miles north on the Wixom Road exit. So one, exit 159, yep. Cool, sort of the outer northwest suburbs of Detroit. Exactly, yep. Or really west suburbs of Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and so how, if I'm, if I, so now I take that exit because I want to go to drafting table. I'm going to yep. go downtown. Are you outside of town? We're just in the downtown, uh, well, what's called the VCA um, Village Center area of Wixom. I know, okay. fancy, right? <laughs> um yeah, just just on the western edge of it. So um, yeah, you would you would take it uh take Wixom Road two miles north, take a left on Old Wixom, and basically that road terminates in our parking lot. So killer, killer. Yeah. So I've been there once. Um, it's beautiful inside. Um, <laughs> I didn't uh, I didn't ask this when I was there, like a jerk, I guess. But your wife is you you started kind of your professional career as a landscape architect. Is that right, engineer? Yep. Okay. And she was an interior designer, that's probably a better name. Yep. Okay. And she's responsible for how beautiful the inside of that pub looks generally? I mean, Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> she, she asked my opinion on a lot of things. Uh, well, that's very nice, I think. Right. <laughs> that's nice. Um, and so the pub itself is beer focused um, because you're, it sounds like because you're in sort of downtown-ish, uh, VCA of uh, Wixom, you're you don't you don't cook food in house, but that's purposeful, right? You're supporting kind right. of restaurants around you. Yes, yeah, we and we we chose this location because it's in a building with four other restaurants. Okay, um, yeah. So, so I'm going to go to drafting table. I want some food. I call ahead, order from one of the restaurants, bring it into drafting table. I can eat it there, drink beer, hang yep. out, have fun. Yep, and we we occasionally bring food trucks in too to mix it up. Okay, cool, good. Um, so one of the things I think is interesting, and I don't, because I haven't, you know, uh, been there uh, that much, um, I don't know how it operates now, but I know that when I went there, and this was a couple of years ago, um, you all had a stamtisch, is that right? Yes, we do, yeah. Okay, and will you explain to folks what a stamtisch is? Well, stamtisch is, um, and you can correct me if my, uh, my understanding of it's wrong, um, but yeah, usually a table set aside for the regulars or, uh, you know, the mayor, um, the dig the city dignitaries. I don't know, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it generally is a table set aside for for um, 
I guess the special people. For, for so folks. Speak, whatever. And is that how you I noticed in the in the US, you know, um and honestly in a lot of uh beer stuben, even in northern Germany and uh some sometimes in the south of Germany as well, the Stammtisch will really just be kind of uh like if you sit down there, you can expect other people. I mean, essentially, if you go into the bar alone just to find people to hang out with, it's less so. Obviously, in beer gardens in southern Germany, that's just kind of every table. Right. Um, but the, like I said, the beer student, um, it really is just a table. If you're going in there just by yourself and you just want some company, you can expect people just like you to sit down at that table uh, in that place as well. And it's a great place to get in conversation and meet new people and obviously have a couple of delicious beers. So um, I, I don't know if that's what your Stammtisch ends up being sometimes or, or not, but. Yeah, it's um, and obviously we, we don't reserve it for the, <laughs> the dignitaries of the city, but um, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, um, it's just a big gathering right table. Up. Yeah. Um, exactly. Like you mentioned. So, right. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, I, I mean, I think that's healthy for the community. You know what yeah. I mean? It's good to have a place to come and sit if you want some company, you know? Yeah. Um, so you spent some time uh, banging around Germany or Europe generally. Yeah. A yeah. Yeah. So I actually spent a chunk of my childhood uh, just, just in a suburb of uh, Munich. Okay. Um, Kirchheim by München, which is mm -hmm. um, in between Erding and, and Munich. Okay. And um, yeah, I was there from like two to six and um, you know, got immersed in the culture a little bit. I uh, used to speak German uh, more fluently than English. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I, I went back a couple more times uh, when I could actually uh, enjoy the, uh, the libations there and uh, really got into <laughs> beer um, at Excellent. that point. Yep. And where were you hanging around the second time when you were when you were old enough? To so I, I went back to my old stomping grounds. So um, yeah. so yeah, um, Kirchheim and um, in Eiting. We had friends in Eiting, um, okay. which is right outside Erding. And yeah, got that was fourteen. So yeah, I was you know yeah drinking some beer at fourteen. But in Germany, as you know, that's uh, it's not. Well, it depends on what you look like, right? <laughs> if you look like you're sixteen, you're pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. So, um, um, I mean, you know, if they give you bread, they'll give you beer. That's pretty much what I found. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that were you, I mean, obviously at 14, you're not necessarily aware um, that you're, you know, what you're going to be when you grow up. Right. Right. But, um, but, you know, having had that experience uh, of, you know, drinking legally, I was in I was an exchange student in high school in in Munich um, as well for a while, and uh, my experience of it was it was such an important thing to be welcomed into a community that involved alcohol in a legal, more structured fashion than we do here. Yep. Um, and I'm I'm certainly not advocating for young people to drink, right? Um, but I think that it's uh, important if you have a culture that involves drinking, which American culture does, um, to have a sort of pathway to learn how to do it in a way that is at least socially responsible, right? Correct. Yes. Um, so if, if that resonates with you, what I mean, what was your perspective then on the on the German drinking culture from the perspective of a teenager who was probably feeling like he was getting away with something a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. I felt, <laughs> uh, yeah, I felt guilty, I guess. Um, <laughs> Me too. Yep. Me too. Um, 
but yeah, it was it was cool. Yeah, it was just you know hanging out with my mom, having a beer in the beer garden at fourteen. Um, yeah, it, it was a like you said, like you said, it's um, or like you know, like we said, it's you feel guilty and um, a little yeah, like you're getting away with something. Yeah, right, 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 right. Rather like you kind of just be drinking like this. Um, and I mean, I remember uh, my host sister who I was sixteen and she was nineteen. And uh, she would always try and get me to go out with her and her friends in Munich, which, of course, I, I did and wanted to do. Um, and that always involved a beer or or whatever. And I remember the first couple of weeks, man, I, I just wouldn't get one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I knew I was going to go back home and start up, you know, foot, I think it was the end of football season. So maybe wrestling um, when I got back. And I was just like, well, you know, I can't pollute my body like that with some beer. <laughs> And uh, which, of course, I'm not that worried about now. But, um, you know, I think that uh, I, when I finally had one, I remember this feeling of like, I'm sure that everyone sitting around me is is looking at me, drink this beer and judging me. You know what I mean? Like, right. like oh, I was back in the United States, like somebody stopped that kid. And, um, you know, I, I, that wasn't the case at all. And it was completely normal. And it I think the idea of being introduced into a drinking culture out in the open is uh, is really, really important and changes the way, um, of course, there are alcoholics in Germany like there are anywhere else. Sure. Um, but I do think it changes the way you approach alcohol initially, which inform informs the way that you approach it later in life, right? Absolutely. But it is not that much different than drinking a Coca-Cola, right? Yep. And there aren't, you know, any nights or days when I am, you know, after five, six, seven or eight Coca-Colas um, and it's the same thing with beer, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so I, 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 I don't know. I, it's difficult to put. I didn't prepare that, by the way. You can probably tell. But um, I don't know, man. I, I just think that drinking culture is so important. And I wonder if you think uh, that having had that experience that kind of formative experience with that kind of beer influence the kind of beer that as a brewer now you enjoy drinking? And if so, do you also enjoy making it? And tell us why, if so. Yeah, certainly. Um, absolutely. You know, it, 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 it formed or, you know, it, it's kind of um, shaped what I, I, you know, what I like to, what I enjoy today. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, naturally, which is you know, Pellis, Pills, um, you know, what, what the, the the beers that are common, uh, yeah, Weizen beer export. Yep, yeah. and um, yeah, actually, I remember my first Pills when I was fourteen, uh, Eitinger Pills. Um, <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I can still remember sipping on and how good it was. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, and yeah, that's that's what I uh, what I you know drink. I'd say ninety percent of the time. Um, over here and yes absolutely we love brewing them um they're they're a big part of our sales here at the pub which is cool to see um that as you know they they do take longer um the loggers but um were they were they worth it yep. <laughs> yeah they are they are so maybe we can kind of dovetail that into a discussion about um what you say you know loggers or at least should we say traditional continental and british sure. beers it seems like um are a big part i see that they're a big part of your tap lineup yes. um 
is this something that you are, is this something that you, the first question would be, is this something that you've been doing since you opened the doors or is this a little bit of a curve in direction for you? No, it was, it was always our plan to have um, at, at least a pills on tap, right. a German style pills. Um, and um, I want to say it came around maybe batch number six. Okay. <laughs> so okay. So right away. Yeah. yeah. You know, we kicked out some quick, uh, quick turnover beers, you know, um, IPA, you. whatever to get them on, you know, get a tap list going. And then, um, yeah, we quickly uh, jumped into a lager. Cool. Um, with, the, with the intention of keeping one on. So at least. And how many times, I know that you have great clientele and I'm not asking you to sell them out. I'm, I'm making a joke based on experiences I have had, yeah. right? Okay. <laughs> so, so do you remember the first time somebody came into your pub and was like, why are you making a Pilsner? Pilsners are stupid, right? Where's your, where's your cupcake Imperial Stout? Oh yeah. 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 Yep. 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 That's, uh, it still happens, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And what, I mean, tell me, I'll go first if you want me to, but tell me sure. what, what goes on in your, uh, in your mind when someone says that to you at your, at your own <laughs> fucking brewery. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, don't, don't get me wrong. We, we brew some stuff. I, I'm not going to say, you know, cupcake, whatever. Um, but <laughs> oh, we, we yeah, we've done some, you know, highly adjuncted uh, beers. Uh, we try to keep a good variety on tap um, sure. to, to appease a lot of people. But yeah, it's, it's hard to kind of, when somebody says that to you, um, yeah, I, I, it's it's hard to take it. <laughs> it is. It's weird. Yeah, I, I bite my tongue essentially. <laughs> Me I, too. I, you you kind of have to. <laughs> yeah, you you do. Um, I mean, you can you maybe get a little stinger. Yeah, true. Sure. But, um, but I think um, I mean it happens to me all the time. It's happened throughout my career. It's happened. So I can't tell you yeah. how many times. Right. I mean, I spent ten years. Ten years. That's seven years. Just making. Uh, an alt beer, a rodler, a lager, and then a chocolate stout, which is the cupcake shit that I'm talking about. But that was for Sanders, right? Which is a big deal in Detroit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and and just, you know, vagabonding from brewery to brewery and just trying to make as much as I could and keep the supply lines open for the distributors that I was working with while working and at that brewery um, as a kind of a contracted employee. Uh, different breweries and it was rough and i can't tell you how many times you know we're starting a family um people were like you know when i say people i mean the people that would sell my beer were like dude I, a pilsner like for real you know what i mean like though this is good and you want gabf medals and, and world beer cups and stuff right here but nobody's gonna buy this shit you're an idiot right <laughs> um why don't you just make two hearted Right. And the answer is because Bell's makes too hard and it's great. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> Why would I do that? <laughs> and also um, this and it, it was wrongheaded. Right. But this um, idea, well, not necessarily wrongheaded, but I just did it in the wrong order. This idea of, you know, this shit is important. Right. It's it's important that people and I say people, I mean, brewers, it's important that people remember why this beer is important this kind of beer is important right 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 and why it's part of the social fabric in so many you know places that are influenced by northern europe and even places that aren't right yep um japan has some of the best pilsners i've ever had right 
Um, China now is, you know, is also having good Pilsner and, you know, the African market is, is, is wide open for that kind of brewing as well. Yep. Um, look, and I'm not saying it's the preeminent style of beer. I'm not saying it's the most important. I'm just saying there's so much locked up in that style of brewing that is important about brewing. Um, and I've been terrified to be honest with you. And we I mean, call me chicken little or whatever, but I've been terrified for the last 15 years um at you know the path that american craft beer is taken away from that kind of stuff and what it's clear to me that folks brewers are are forgetting and what folks right. that drink the beer are forgetting about what about what i i at least think beer is i i wonder if that resonates to you absolutely um yeah. and and more on that i guess it's really it's really exciting to see the um the uh the change in in, in beer you know tastes um, yep. that we've been seeing i'd say in the last year yeah um, and you know the lot loggers are gaining traction it's it's really cool um and i had mentioned uh it's a, it's, a, it's our best seller in our pub what is the um, name of that particular beer professional pills pro pills pro pills yep for yep. Uh, short um yeah it's it's killing it for us so we're good we're really excited to see that and yeah it, it does take longer to brew uh fortunately we've we've set up our brewery to um accommodate that better um as, as best as we can be in a small brewery but yeah. um well you're yeah. working you're working on a seven barrel system yeah correct yeah okay and you can you tell me a little bit about your fermenter briefly about your fermenter orientation sure um so so we have four uh sevens we have okay. two 15s and then a 20 okay um or 21 and um yeah that 21 barrels dedicated to pro pills so three turns into that yep and then um, because we're short on space, we have um, a, a 20 barrel bright that's essentially a vertical lagering tank sure, sure. that uh, the pills will move into um, after fermentation and then uh, into a bright after that. So, right on. I, yeah. You know, for what it's worth, I have never made one of my own lagers in a horizontal lagering tank. So, I mean, I get it. I, why, yeah. you know, people like it. I understand the theory, but I don't think it matters that much. It, <laughs> it, it works. And pills is nice and bright. So, <laughs> right. And horizontal tanks are such a pain in the ass to clean. I've never, never cleaned one, but I can only imagine. Yeah. Counter blessings. They suck. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, okay. So you're, um, participating in carrying the torch of tradition for brewing in part, um, which I think is important. I think every brewer should do that. Yeah. Um, not to like pay respect or anything, but just to keep your chops up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and to put yourself out there with a lager means you truly are putting your skill out there. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Not your imagination, not your whimsy. Right. None of that shit. Not you're chasing something somebody yeah. else did necessarily, even though that kind of is what it is. But, you know, you're 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 putting your ability to do something patiently methodically and accurately on display and if nothing else wouldn't it be great if craft beer consumers really understood that about that kind of beer absolutely yeah <laughs> you know yep. it's like yep. i mean it's like going on stage with a you know a sock and nothing else on you know what i mean it's like here i am this is as good as i can do you know? yep absolutely so uh the last couple of years uh we've talked a lot today about about your pub already Yep. Last couple of years have been rough on pubs. That's yeah. It's yeah. I've never experienced that kind of uh, well. You know, none of us have. Yeah. Um, 
but that um that kind of stress yeah <laughs> um yeah especially you know we were, we were just starting at at the point when COVID hit um to get in a comfortable groove you know we were um we were just about to celebrate our fourth anniversary so things were really clicking and then COVID hit yep Shit. so just like everybody else you had to pivot and yep. figure it out and so yeah. give me a little bit i mean maybe put it on a timeline for us right march 2020 yep everybody says oh shit. yep so yeah we're, we're getting ready for our big anniversary party um end of march and um yeah we're watching things unfold and uh overseas and and getting a little nervous and then yeah then it hit and um yeah you freak out it's uh you know, you start doing uh, cash flow projections and it's like, all right, how long can we last here? This is before, you know, PPP and yep. um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty stressful. So um, fortunate for us, we uh, were able to pivot into packaged product. Um, we had bought a canning line about, I don't know, nine months prior to, to COVID hitting. Um, and, um, what kind of canning line is that? Is that multiple head or, uh, yeah, uh, just a, a two, a two head wild goose. So we can do okay. about, um, uh, a case a minute. So, okay. yep. That's good. Hey. Yep. For a seven barrel system, it's perfect size. Exactly. Um, yep. and, um, yeah, we just, just threw everything into that. Uh, fortunately I had a, I had a, um, solid, uh, can supplier. So, um, who you're working with for can supply land and sea or land and sea, correct? Yep, yep. yeah, yep. they're great, man. Yep. Tim and Kim are saints, they're fantastic. So, yeah. yeah, they they uh they helped us through it for sure. Um, Good. by keeping a steady supply of aluminum, so us too, <laughs> honestly. That's um, so all right, so you know, like like me and other people, I'm putting words in your mouth here a little bit, but March, April, you just yep. kind of shitting your pants, putting your fists up, and seeing what you got to block and what you got to throw. Um, yep. PPP comes out. We don't talk about you did or you didn't, right? But that happened. Right, right. Um, and then uh, and then the summer comes. And for us, I know that summer particularly was this weird, you know, inertia. <laughs> you know, there wasn't really, there wasn't anything happening. And zero people knew what was going to happen. And, right. you know, there are questions about the validity of this and the importance of that and all this kind of stuff. The brewers, I would assume, you know, like me and I would assume yourself were just kind of going, OK, well, people are sitting at home. You, you already talked about this a little bit, but I'd like to talk about the nature of it. People are sitting at home. Right. They, they are clearly I mean, this is what I saw. You know, we're looking at IRI data and other inventory management data that our distributors use uh, that we have access to. And. Uh, you know, essentially, we're seeing that people are sitting at home, but people seem to be sitting at home and drinking beer, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so so this is an opportunity that we were, like you, able to capitalize on. And I wonder, I mean, you know, the, I guess the question I want to ask is, is, is well, the question I'm thinking of is, what does that feel like? And I do want to ask that question, but I also want to ask you kind of what did that look like in terms of what beers you were putting on the market, what folks were drinking? Was that different than what you were experiencing in your pub? And if so, how? So, um, yeah, it was, it was a little overwhelming because um, we, we, we try to keep up. Again, I, met, I mentioned before we, have, we try to keep a wide variety on tap. 
And um, we try to, you know, I, I think we did a pretty good job continuing that with our packaged product. Um, and as you know, that means a lot of label development. So um, there, yeah, there was, uh, I mean, it was exhausting putting a lot of effort into that um, and trying to, you know, stay ahead of it. Um, when you know, say we, stay ahead of it, what, what do you mean? Stay ahead of it. Uh, getting, you know, getting it approved. Um, yeah. Just the, the artwork takes forever too, you know, going yeah. back and forth. We, we try to, um, I don't know, I, you know, sometimes it would just throw some font on there for in a pinch or something, you know, yeah. get the label sent out, uh, get it approved at our, um, you know, our, our label supplier um, quickly. But um yeah, it was it was a ton of work. Um, not not just again, not just packaging, but yeah, just getting all that put together. Yeah. Right. Well, and the timing of it all, right? Because you have to yeah. make promises, right? Your distributor yeah. wants a promise. What day exactly? Right? Yep. And and then lead times were, you know, especially with the label uh, yeah. manufacturer just going up and up because yep. everyone was doing the same thing. So. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We had, uh, you know, we we pretty much stuck to our guns in terms of what we were selling. And, and that's the nature of this brewery anyway. Yep. Um, but uh, I think it developed and, and became strengthened throughout the pandemic because look, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. If people are buying M43, then let's make some M43. Absolutely. And sell it, right. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, there is a, there was an urge at least for, for me to kind of, you start rolling the dice a little bit again. And for me, what that means is um, it is any day of the week, any day of the week, um, we could make another New England IPA that is slightly different than the other New England IPAs that we make and put a crazy name on it and sell, you know, 10,000, 12,000 cases of it. No problem. Sure. Right. I mean, like that. Um, and so the risk to me is different now than it used to be. And I think consumers are maybe catching up to that. And that's part of the lager uh, the change that's happening as well. Um, but what I think consumers are used to is risk taking is, you know, putting kumquats in your barley wine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, it, I, to me, that doesn't feel risky anymore. That's a slam dunk. You know, people are going to buy yeah. it. Right. Yeah. I, I think the risk is in making an, a mild ale, for example, um, or, yeah, sure. or an alt beer or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. um, that, and explaining why it's good to people, right? right? Um, yeah, you have to think about it a little harder at first, maybe. But once you get it, which is what we talked about in the beginning, you know, you haven't gone to Germany. Once you get it, that, I mean, you get it, right? That's, that's beer then, right? That's the beer you want when you think about yep. wanting a beer. Absolutely. Um, and I wonder, uh, you work um, with M4 in distribution. I think yes, you're in Yep. Okay. Um, and M4 is famous for, I mean, one of the things they're famous for is having a broad portfolio of really experimental breweries, right? Yes. Um, so how do you feel like you fit into that portfolio and how do they then approach uh, beers like the professional pills that you make? Yeah, uh, they, they honestly take every drop of pills that we can get them, um, which in the grand scheme of things is not, you know, that much. Um, but okay. yeah, the, the cool thing is um, we, we kind of occupy a chunk of their portfolio that is, you know, the more traditional side of things, um, which I'm, I'm quite proud of. 
Um, yep. And again, that's not not to say we don't, you know, send them stuff like um, we we have a, a milkshake IPA with orange in it called Orange Brulius. Um, that that's one of the bigger, um, I guess, one of the beers we send the most of to them. Um, okay, but um, yeah, the pills uh, we have kind of a traditional sort of American IPA that does really well. Um, okay. Yeah, it's 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 pretty cool to be that part of the you know that chunk of their portfolio. So we work with some boutique distributors, um, but most of those are in uh, outer markets that we don't really pay, to be frank, a lot of attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, we should That is to say, we should pay more attention than we do, right? Um, mostly though, we're working with pretty big distributors. Um, and the difference between working with a big distributor, like let's say Heidelberg in Ohio, um, which is like, I think the 10th or 11th biggest distributor yeah. in, the, in the United States. Um, the uh, difference between working with those guys and working with, let's say, Heartland, which is kind of a smaller distributor that we work with in Chicago, um, is night and day. It's completely different. Um, getting their attention, keeping their attention, messaging, making sure the messaging is heard, making sure the reps have a story to tell, all that kind of stuff is really, really difficult, right? generate with bigger distributors and with smaller distributors not only do you tend to know all the reps and probably have conversations with the you know owner or or ceo a fair amount um but you know they have more bandwidth because even if they do have a large portfolio there's stuff that they know works and they know doesn't work within that portfolio and if you're one of the ones that works you know they've got the bandwidth to kind of hear you and then go out and repeat, um, you know, what it is that you're telling them. So yep. M4 strikes me as a distributor that is a lot more sensitive and and, and willing to kind of wanting to sort of hear your story about a beer and then go uh, tell it when they're when they're out selling the beer. When Drafting Table started distributing, was that I mean, you worked at Witcher's Hat for a little while before Drafting Drafting Table? Is that right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Yep. And they were distributing at that time. Uh, yes, they were. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you have anything really to do with distribution then, or were you pretty much just on the deck making beer? I was pretty much on the deck making beer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, moving into distribution with Drafting Table, you know, focusing on distribution in a time where there's a lot of uncertainty, um, you know, meaning the pandemic. What what was your experience with that? Right. I mean, the long. I mean, I know for me, the longing of just wanting to sell beer out of the tap room is strong when you're having problems with distributors. So, what was that like with you? Yeah, I, I guess to um, rewind a bit. Yeah. To, so when we first opened, um, and my my goal was to distribute beer, you know, within six to eight months of opening. And okay. once we had things kind of dialed in, um, and my goal was always to self distribute. Okay. Um, I quickly realized, uh, how fun that was. Yeah. No, no sarcasm there, but, uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> I, I hated it. Absolutely yeah. hated it. Um, it's the worst. Yeah. It's, it's pretty awful. Um, yeah. and, um, yeah. So fortunately, um, they were put in touch with them for, um, we also looked at uh, a couple other distributors and, um, after, after, um, you know, the meetings, uh, quickly realized that, um, you know, we, that they were a match for us. Okay. So, yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, and I guess what I'm talking about a little bit more is not necessarily what your relationship with, with M4 specifically yep. is like at this point, but more, um, 
you know, here's a here's a, a poorly kept secret in the brewing industry that, you know, essentially when you're selling a beer out of your pub, you are mm -hmm. setting the market price, right? Yep. Um, so your margin selling a four pack out of the pub is mm -hmm. drastically increased yep. Uh, yep. In, in relative to what you make when you sell it to the distributor, because essentially you're selling it to the distributor and you have to kind of back end um, their margin and the retailer's margin. So a case that you, you know, just random numbers, a case that you might make 50 bucks on um, in your pub, you're going to sell that to the distributor for like 22 bucks, right? Yeah. Um, which helps volume. I mean, this is the situation we all signed up for. I'm not complaining about that situation, but right. I think it's something that folks who aren't distributing brewers don't really think about, right? Yep. Um, this is why brewers love pub releases. Um, one of the reasons. And so, um, that in a context of the pandemic, this is really what I'm getting at in the context of the pandemic, um, where you, you may be reticent to, you know, to invite people into your pub to pick up beer, um, shifting then towards, and I'm talking about stuff that we did too, if this doesn't, you know, make sense to you, yep. um, shifting toward, um, distribution and understanding that that does a lot to your bottom line overall. Not only do you not have butts and seats in your pub, um, you know, buying pints at whatever amount you set, that margin is generally great, but you're also losing margin that you kind of count on to run your business by selling beer to the distributor. And again, I'm not impugning distributors here, um, but your volume is ostensibly up, right? So you're working, you feel, it maybe feels like you're working a little bit harder for less money. What was your experience like there? A cool thing is we, um, we did still have, we had a really good curbside um, right. presence and um, I'd say volume wise, um, probably the same as, you know, 2019, but again, a lot of it packaged, you know, right. um, yeah, no, no pints were being sold for a chunk of that time. Right. Um, just, you know, any draft was, was growler in growler format. Sure. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I felt like I was working a lot harder because yeah, we were packaged pretty much everything. Right. Right. Um, and again, on a two head filler, um, right. and we didn't, we actually didn't even have a labeler up until May of 2020 when so we realized, hand labeling? Oh, uh, we, we had the foot pedal, you know, oh, whatever. Yeah. It was fun. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah. So yeah, we qu quickly realized, you know, this is not a two to four week shutdown. This is, this is going to be a, a long-term thing. So we, we, uh, fortunately bought a inline labeler and th that was a, that was a game changer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for but, sure. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it definitely felt like a lot more work for less. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wonder, um, when you're, uh, when you're, I mean, this is nothing anyone planned for, right? Mm -hmm. My feeling, and I know the feeling of a lot of brewers that I've spoken to about the last couple of years, and I don't think we'll probably move on from the pandemic after this, but, um, you know, what's most frustrating is everybody's got their story about how they, you know, worked harder and pulled together and, you know, the team pulled together and they, they, they made it through, um, which are all inspiring, uh, frankly. Um, but also there seems to be a sentiment of um, loss, right? Not financial loss, but um, that, you know, you maybe feel like you kind of lost a year or a year and a half, right? In terms of the progress of everything to do with your business right right um not you know maybe you're winning new customers but you can't meet them and maybe you're used to knowing who's drinking your beer or maybe 
um, like us, you, you just kind of stopped experimenting. You just kind of went back to your core and, and focused on pushing that. Lessons learned there for sure. Um, but when you look to the future, what what are your goals for drafting table in the next, let's say, three years? Yeah, we're, we're at an interesting point um, because, yeah, we're completely maxed out of space. So um, I guess to, to, I don't know, to, to, to put it one way, is that we're doing a little soul searching to decide what our next step is. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, we, we, we're kind of maxed out end of 2019, but we were starting that process and that's right when COVID hit. So right. now that we're just getting through that, um, we're starting to feel settled again. Um, I guess more, more normal. Um, and yeah, we're starting that, that soul searching process. Yeah. I think that's, that's very, right. And what, for me, what that always has been is assessing my risk tolerance at that moment. Right. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Especially being, you know, we're still exhausted from last two years and right. It, yeah. It's right. intimidating. So, yeah, it is intimidating, right? Like how hard do I push this? You know, how much risk do I take in order, particularly when you're maxed out, right? Because then you're kind of, this is not the fanciful, you know, thoughts of someone just saying like, wouldn't it be cool if, right? Yeah. You're going, okay, man, we got to make some decisions here. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and that's, you know, it's always preferable when those aren't kind of, kind of forced on you, but for good reason, right? I mean, you're selling as much as the space you're in fits. That's good. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So I think, um, when we talk about, uh, the craft beer, um, industry here in Michigan, it's not all that different. I don't think than craft beer, uh, cultures and industries elsewhere. Uh, but one of the things that we have here in Michigan is, uh, the Brewers Guild, which has changed in terms of, you know, I, I've been around brewing in Michigan for 20, 20 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it's changed in terms of what the Brewers Guild is to brewers, I think. Um, but I think that has less to do with the Guild and more to do with the fact that when I came into Michigan, I think there were like 57 breweries. Oh, wow. Yeah. And most of them were, you know, whatever, a barrel or two, and hardly any of them are around anymore. Um to now where there are, I don't even know how many, 300 and some, is that still? That sounds right, yeah. yeah. Maybe close to 400. I, right, I and most of them are little, right? Yep. yep. Um, and what, when I say little, I mean like kind of three barrels and under, right? Yep. Um, just open up in an old flower shop and, you know, put 10 square feet of brewing equipment in there right. and you're done, right? Um, which is valid and, and and totally cool, but what I see happening uh, in our Brewers Guild and in the again the craft beer culture in Michigan is this really huge dichotomy between the needs and wants of brewers that size who maybe haven't been brewers for long, generally sure. haven't been brewers for long, and brewers that approach a larger size like maybe Old Nation does. Right. Um, that it's complete. It's not even the same sport. Um, at all. Uh, it's the difference between swimming and volleyball, right? Um, and I, I mean, you know, obviously we're still creating a fermented beverage out of grain. That's the same. Um, but most of the way that the business runs is, is very different. And I know that you've grown a lot 
And I know that, you know, moving from, you know, Witch's Hat, where you were, you know, functionally working for somebody else mm -hmm. um, to having your own place and having those responsibilities, which are manifold and intense, um, makes, I think, how you, the difference between somebody who really likes beer and becomes a brewer and their opinions about beer and the difference between somebody who really likes beer, becomes a brewer, and then puts their whole ass on the line to open up a brewery yeah. and keep it going. And now you've got more people to support, more responsibilities and community responsibilities and all that stuff. For me, at least, it changed my perspective on craft beer into a way more nuanced perspective. And I wonder how that's affected you, if at all, as you've grown. Absolutely. Um yeah, it, it, yeah, especially opening, like you said, putting your ass on the line, opening a place where, you know, you're responsible for the livelihood of, or your businesses of, of, um, you know, a handful of people. Um, it's scary. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's funny. Yeah. It's interesting how, how perspective changes, um, like, like you had mentioned working from someone to, to opening your own, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, right uh, down to like, right, right down to pointing the finger when you're working for somebody else and you're like, man, why is this guy such an idiot? He could just do this. Right. <laughs> and now people are saying that about me. So. Exactly. Yep. Yep. All the yep. time. Right. I mean, now I've got a staff that is, you know, some 22, 23 full-time folks, sales and production. Okay. That doesn't even include the restaurant, yep. um, which my wife thankfully runs very well. And I don't really have much of anything to do with. Um, and there's on any given hour of any day, there's somebody going, you know, that guy is kind of an asshole and he really should just do this. You know what I mean? Uh, or why doesn't he know that I'm suffering like this? And then they kind of, you know, suffer in silence or whatever the thing is. Um, and it is, well, your focus does get pulled off a of beer a little bit. So those moments when, you know, I'm lucky enough to have, you know, four people on the brew house deck and three people in the cellar and a bunch of people on the packaging line. And when they are sitting around doing whatever they do at the big picnic table here in the brewery at the end of the day, having a beer, it's so nice to sit down and talk to those folks mm -hmm. about beer, right? Absolutely. Because most of what I'm thinking of during the day is payroll and distributor problems and whatever it is. Um, and I don't think about beer as much as I want to. So having that resource, those folks in here where we can just sit, you know, what happened today? How was it? You know, was it what, you know, I, I know you had a slow mash and you had a bad yield on that brew. What was the problem? You know, those are uh, conversations that I really treasure. And mm -hmm. I, it's a bigger, you know, brewery than, than Old Nation, than Drafting Table. We've been around and, and whatever, but um, it's a, it's something that I that I like to talk to brewers about is is that right? Like, there's this idea that you know, um, you know, Dogfish Head guy, Collagione, right? Um, yep. You know that he it's just kind of this man put on sandals and shorts and go walk around the desert and find some cactus that you can make a beer out of, right? <laughs> yep. Uh, no, that's not. No. It was an entertaining well, show, though. Uh, it, well, it sure was. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was entertaining. It was, you know, fictional generally. Yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 funny you mentioned how little time you get to be thinking about beer um, because of all the other shit that it takes to run a business. Um, 
you know, that, that occupies your, 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 your time. It's, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. How many folks do you have on staff? So in the back, it's just, uh, I I have two brewers, um, and slash sellermen slash packaging. I'm, and then I, um, you know, if if they have the day off, I'll fill in, um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, certain packaging runs. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm brewing less than I'd like to, but, um, that's, that's, you know, that's the, 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 the size we're at right now the point we're at. And I, I rarely brew. Right. But I also have the opportunity to hire really good brewers and have a kind of a long interview process. And most of the folks, uh, in fact, everybody on the floor at old nation right now started on the bottling line. Um, you know, and these are folks that have worked here for, we don't hire much in the back. Right. Um, they, we, they just kind of one person, you know, Hey man, I got this really killer opportunity in Wyoming and I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well go do it, man. You should do that. Yep. And then it just kind of moves up. You know, the guy that was in the front of the bottling line goes to the seller, the sellerman comes up to the brew house and that's the deal. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's awesome. Uh, but I guess what I'm asking here is, um, you know, and again, we, we have to be political and polite and I understand that, but, um, you know, talk about something like untapped, right? <laughs> uh, I don't know if you self-flagellate like I do and go on untapped and look at reviews of your, of your beer or social media yeah. generally. I try to stay away from it. Yeah. Good, good for you. I, yeah. I, I do stay away from social media now. Every once in a while, I'll go on untapped and look at it. It doesn't bother me as much anymore, but I will tell you there was a point in my career where, I mean, I lost hair going online and, and, and listening to people talk about the beer that I was making. Um, and I guess when we're talking about perspectives and perspective shifts, that is part of what I'm talking about, right? Like if yep. you could tell somebody what you think about beer and why you make the beer that you make, right? I mean, it's a big question, but what, what would you say? How would you go about doing that? I mean, I guess I would gravi- gravitate back to the traditional you know, lager styles, um, to me, and maybe as you mentioned, you know, have having it as one of my first beers when I was 14, maybe, um, yeah, you know, if that, if you define beer, that's, that's beer to me, um, clean, flavorful. Um, yeah. So yeah, just, I, yeah, I, I guess I just try not to offend anybody when, uh, you know, they ask for the cupcake beer. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess in, in my, my personal opinion, uh, it's just, you yeah. know. That, What's beer for, right? That's, right. That yeah. Sense. Yeah, I guess. I guess. What do you what do you expect out of beer at that point? Um, right. You know. Well, I'll tell you, I had um, I say this a lot to, uh, you know, younger brewers uh, whenever I have an opportunity to talk to them. Yeah. Because this was said to me over and over again as a young brewer, uh, particularly in Germany, uh, which was a brewer's, first of all, a brewer's first responsibility is to not give someone a hangover they didn't earn, right? Um, So that means care and fermentation. It means care and selection of raw materials. It means uh, learning how to dot your I's and cross your T's before you go inflict your whimsy on an unsuspecting public, right? Yep. and then uh, the second one was, uh, and, and I really believe this one, and it's hard to, uh, it's hard to translate in a lot of contexts in modern American craft beer, but it's possible, um, is a good beer is one 
you can consider and think about if you wish, but don't have to if you don't wish to, right? Yes. Um, that it is not the focus of your evening, right? The beer, um, but it is an accompaniment to whatever it is that you're doing, right? Um, and it should serve that role. And, and I and I truly do believe that. And I'm saying that I believe that while I'm brewing and you know sending my kids to college probably on some loud ass IPA, but um you know i do think it's important for for young brewers to really think about those two things particularly and i wonder what what your thoughts are on that it's great advice yeah absolutely um you know it, it beer gets termed as a, a social lubricant um sure. and i guess in a way that's saying the same same thing Ugh, same thing excuse me um yeah it's it's part it just it's it's accompanying the you know the the social situation or right you right. Know, it's, um, and, absolutely. And, and part of that includes, it totally can include, Hey man, we, you know, what are you drinking? I'm drinking this. Or what do you think about it? This sure. is what I think about it. It's what it tastes like. But man, if you're hanging out with somebody, that's about five minutes of the conversation. Right. Yeah. Um, so, or maybe right, if you're going nuts about it. Um, so I guess, you know, beers place in culture, um, is important, uh, you know, to me. And I think, I think to a lot of brewers, it sounds like it is to you. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, as many times as someone might go on, on untapped and say, you know, why don't they just put fruit puree in this beer? Um, we do sometimes, right? But I don't like sure. to do that. Um, so we do it once a year. We do it in April. We release the strawberry M43 and everybody gets what they want. And then we can stop and go back to doing what we want to do. Yep. Yep. And uh, yeah, we're guilty of it, too. Is there anything that you wanted to chat about or talk about you guys doing now uh, that we didn't get to? Um, I honestly, uh, I just appreciate you having me on. Cool. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so summertime, come grab a beer, springtime, come grab a beer, wintertime, come on inside, Absolutely. grab a beer, sit at the Stammtisch. Yes. <laughs> all right, man. Hey, Aaron, thank you so much. I wish you all the best and, uh, and great luck moving forward. I appreciate what it is that you're doing for what it's worth. And, uh, I hope we talk again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right. No problem. putting your ass on the line opening a place where you know you're responsible for the livelihood of, of um, you know a handful of people um, it's scary uh, to get different perspectives on work on philosophy toward work and on the brewing industry specifically my passion yeah. is to make something that is as perfect as I can make it no matter what it is Man, you're super mediocre. Stop being mediocre. You're built to be not mediocre. I, so I got back to St. Louis and we sit in the meeting. I said, okay, guys, what are we going to do with the IPA? And they're like, yeah, we're probably not going to do anything with it. They weren't drinking beer to get out of their family and to get out of their life and get out it of their just head. Part they, of it. it was part of it. Um, and I think that's what, you know, that is a huge inf information uh, to me on, on drinking. And so Your first job as a brewer is to not give anyone a hangover they didn't have.